On your journey through life, you are the hero. There are times, however, when it is beneficial to have an advisor to guide you along your path. Welcome to the Smart Money Simplified Podcast with Brent Mikosh, Certified Financial Planner, Certified Investment Management Analyst, and Co-Founder of MP Advisors, LLC. In this podcast, Brent discusses some of the most important and interesting topics of the day as they relate to finance, the economy, and beyond. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to Smart Money Simplified with Brent Mikosh. Brent, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing fantastic. I am uh, feeling a little bit of jealousy kind of rising up as we spoke before the podcast. You just got back from Hawaii, right? It was pretty good. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I mean, Arizona, I think Arizona here, I've told you this before, in April is one of the greatest places on the planet to yeah. be, but Hawaii might be a little bit better. So it was Maybe, a good trip. Just, just a little bit. Maybe. Just because of the water, really. Yeah. Uh, all right. So I know you've got a guest on the show today, and that's Pierre. How did you meet Pierre? So Pierre actually went to college with my wife, and so I met him a few years ago, and he's a commodities guy, and and commodities are are very much outside of my world, so Mm -hmm. I want to say in advance to any of our clients that are going to be listening to this, you know, the commodities markets, the futures markets, these markets are nitroglycerin, and we're going to talk about that today in terms of the volatility in these markets. So this is not a suggestion to get involved in these markets or not, but there's a lot happening in the commodities markets right now, and I really wanted to address that. I'm getting questions about agriculture commodities, about gold, about things that I've just not in the last several years gotten questions about from clients. And so Pierre, is, he's, he's my guy in Chicago that if I want to know what's happening in the commodity, commodities markets, he is the guy that I call. So that I'll just ask Pierre if you can just want to introduce yourself and, and let anyone listening know who you are and what you do there in Chicago. Sure, of course. Fellas, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. So... Uh so yeah, so Brent, we met years ago, and uh, we've seen each other through the years, and I'm really glad to be on with you. Uh, just to give a little background about myself, I started, um, I started in the business in the mid to late 90s. My father was a bond and agricultural trader, uh, futures and options trader, and it, uh, I started working for, for him at a young age, and uh, I've been doing it ever since. And uh, just be happy, you know, I'm happy to be with you guys and, and shed some light on the way I'm viewing the markets and, and viewing uh, the environment that we're in right now, because I think, it's, I think it's pretty fascinating. It's really fascinating because most of us, you know, we turn on the news tonight, we see what the Dow Jones did. We might see what, if you're kind of more of a financial wonk, you might take a look at what yield curves are doing. But really underpinning this entire economy, it's commodities, it's stuff, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. the things that we need to make all the products that, uh, that we enjoy and the food that we eat, uh, the fuel that it takes to, to run your automobile, and all this stuff does come back to the commodities markets. And with a few rare exceptions, you know, we've been in this deflationary mode here for probably four decades or so. And that's changing in a really, really big way right now. So I guess, Pierre, my first question to you would be, Tell me what's changed in the last couple of years. I mean, there's been there's been times we've had oil rallies. We've had some things that have happened in the grain markets. But it feels to me, and I might be wrong on this, but from the outside looking into these markets, it feels like it's very different right now. It is. It has been for a long it time. It is. I, I, Brent, I think your read's spot on. Um, and I'll tell you why. I, th- I think we're waking up from a multi-year slumber uh, across the board in commodities. We could start with oil. We could, we could go to grains, we could go down the list. But behind 
behind the moves that we've seen in the last few months is really what's happening in, with inflation and with supply. And it's kind of a perfect storm. And so we've had this awakening. And yeah, we're moving, we're moving into a new cyclical nature in the commodities market. And you've seen them if you go do your homework, you go back over the years to the 70s, um, to the 80s. And you're seeing a resurgence there. And I, th- and I think leading, leading, that, leading that move is really agriculture and energy. Yeah. And all, well, and also metals. And a lot of this has been exacerbated by what's happening uh, in Russia and with Ukraine. Because so much of the raw materials, soft commodities, grains, come from that part of the world. And the effects of supply disruptions, they take time to come into place in the market. And so that's what I say, we're in the early stages, I think there's a lot more to come. You know, let's start with grains, because again, as Americans, we're very used to walking in our supermarkets and buying all the Wonder Bread and everything else that we want. Yeah. But I did, uh, I did a town hall for some clients, I guess about two weeks ago, and we talked about what was happening over in that part of the world. One thing that we don't think about is about 25% of the global supply of grains comes from Ukraine and Russia. That's correct, yes. And that's massive, you know. So if you are a country that uh, is, we're very fortunate, we're very blessed in the United States where we are, again, we're about 25% of the the global supplies comes from us and we can meet our own needs. But if you're a country that's got to feed its population and you're used to getting these grains coming in from, from Ukraine, from Russia, how much, and I have no idea in terms of planting seasons and what's happening with sanctions, how much of that 25% do you think has been essentially overnight removed from the global economy? That's a very good question. I, I think a significant part has. I think especially in the wheat market, which was the most evident, but there's also a significant corn market in the East, in that part of the world. And on top of... Uh, 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 on top of this crisis, we just had the March planning intentions report, which they, it's essentially, they, it's a survey of, of U.S. planning. And there's a deficit in corn planning, where basically most of the acres have now gone to beans, to soybeans. So th- th- there's, there's a tightness in the market. There's, there, there's, there's a real, there... And it's not just a tightness in the market in terms of uh, of supply. There's also a tightness in the market in ter- in terms of costs. Uh, one thing I would mention is fertilizer. I mean, the price of fertilizer has been screaming for the last two months, and part of that reason is because a lot of the potash and fertilizer that we buy comes out of Russia and Ukraine, which is an essential input in order to get yields on acreage throughout the world. So, so that we buy here in the United States is coming correct, from there. Correct, correct, correct. So now, so now a lot of that market has gone offline. A lot of that market. So, so the, the, physical, the physical fertilizer that the farmer in Decatur, Illinois buys has now gone up 2x, which makes the way he's gonna plant 
Um, it complicates the way he's going to play it. Now, I don't want to get into minutia and details, but the big picture is is that the overall cost, and which is reflective, obviously, of the environment that we're in, the overall costs, the cost of entry to business, if you will, have gone have gone up. They've gone up, and that will be reflected in the market. Will the will grains prices at least? You mentioned this guy in in Iowa or anywhere you know in the farming areas of this country. Are the are the prices of the grains? going up enough to offset what his input costs are because it's not you're saying fertilizer which i hadn't even thought of but you know what he's got to put gas in his tractors he's absolutely well it goes across the board okay so it goes it goes it goes across the board you're absolutely right you're spot on so you have fertilizer you have leasing the tractors you have you know fuel to put fuel to put in and keep in mind that a lot that a lot of a a lot a lot of uh, grain farmers they don't own the land. They do what's called cash rent. So they lease the land. And in the last few months, I think it's the last six months, the the price of premium land in Iowa, which has the best soil in the world, and you can you can have just incredible yields, up almost up to 300 bushels an acre, that has gone up 15% in six months. So now those cash rents, just like you're renting an apartment in New York, (laughs) goes up 15%, but your salary stayed the same, right? It's, 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 it's a difficult proposition. So I think, I think the grain market specifically is in for a very interesting summer. And naturally also with the grain market, what comes with it is weather. So you have, you know, if we don't get any rain, you have a drought market, you get too much rain. And that's what makes it it's it's not always the easiest market to trade, especially in the summer. Sure, sure. Now going back to this guy in Iowa, so mm-hmm. he's got he's paying two x two times for his fertilizer. Mm-hmm. Um, his it's a rent his land or lease his lands up fifteen percent this year. What would what would normal price increases be in years past, say pre COVID? Oh, I would say you know maybe two to three five percent. Farmland's okay, been a fan, farmland's been a fantastic investment over time. The problem with farmland, it's not like buying a condo. Um, it's a little more complicated. Um, in what in way? Terms, in terms of accessibility, a lot of farmers don't like outsiders. They don't. It, it's it's there's there's a lot of different complications. There's you know you have to have water rights. You have to have it's it's. It's 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 kind it's kind of it's kind of a tricky puzzle, and that's why a lot of farmers choose to go the cash rent option because they can they know the land because you you can be like for example you could be on one plot of land that has you know a pretty good yield a mile away you can get double that yield it's a it's very specific it's and it's a it's a very it's a tough market to break into For years ago i tried buying some farmland and i finally gave up i spent a whole summer trying to buy some farmland and i couldn't do it <laughs> most guys wouldn't sell it to me <laughs> they didn't want an out they didn't want an outsider and i know there are some funds that that some i think that, i think there's a few farmland reits but but it's 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 a very specialized it's a very specialized line of work it's mostly family oriented so it's stayed in the family and as it's, it's just a raw investment it's a little difficult i'd rather just speculate 
on, well, let me ask you this. So, so these guys, so, so these guys have obviously their costs, a couple of which you mentioned going up this dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, they're essentially, you know, they're, they're contractors more or less. Are we Correct. hitting a point where with some of these input costs where they can't make money? Because this is an economic plan. If the farmer can't make money, he's not going to farm, period. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Some will. Some will. Some will probably. I, I doubt a lot will. But I'll tell you what they will do is they'll cut corners. So they won't put as much fertilizer or you know nitrates in the ground. And so the yields are going to go down because they, 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 they have to operate within a certain cost structure. Because you're not you're not going to plan if you're going to lose money, of course, right? Yeah. So it's it's hard it's hard to say it's hard to say right now. I I think, and now we're really in the thick of it because we're we're in April. This is planning. The guy the guys already have the machinery out. Um, agri, you know, I would look. It's instead of thinking about. I would offer you this instead of looking about the actual specifics, which as a trader for what I've done for years and years is look at these numbers to analyze price action. I would look at it from, from a larger arc and just come with it with the, with a broad, with a broader idea that these people need to live and they need to eat. And we're having deficits on supply all over the world now, but primarily out of Ukraine and Russia. And we're probably going to have deficits out of the U.S. because of these input costs and fuel, this sort of, this, this mix, right? And so from a speculative perspective, you don't want to get too much into the weeds on it, right? You look at, look at the big picture. And the big picture is prices prices are 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 going higher. Prices are going higher. I would not want to be on the other side. I would not want to be shorting corn or soybeans here. Or wheat right. for sure. And I think for your listeners maybe that's more that's 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 a, like a more simplified way of thinking about it. It's it's sure. it's, it's 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 that we're, the supply is getting cut, demand you know, to, to, demand is still robust. Demand is still robust because we have, well, we, we have, we have, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I mean, and this is stuff that we, again, that, that people need. And speaking of another commodity that people need, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in the energy markets. So yeah, very similar situation. You know, the United yeah. States, again, we're incredibly lucky. We're the world's number one oil producer. That's um, right. All this attention that we have placed over the last, you know, 30 years or so in the Middle East, we, may not realize that the number two producer is actually Russia. It's not Saudi Arabia. It is not yeah. um, Kuwait. It's not Iraq. It yeah. is Russia. They're a monster. And they and, sell it cheap. Yeah. And they get, they get it cheap. You and know, they it's get not it like cheap. tar sands up in Canada where they, That's right. know, there's, a, there's a hurdle rate they got to get over to pull that stuff That's right. you know, out of the ground. What now, so what's happening in that market? Because he, here's even something, again, not being in the space on a day-to-day basis. I know Russia's selling oil to China. Mm-hmm. Um, I've mixed mixed stories that I've read that you know Europe has cut them off. They haven't cut them off them and their gas that type of thing. Like what's happening in this market? Well, we have to parse it apart a little bit because 
you know, the, the gas market, it's a big deal. And it also has geopolitical ramifications to it. I think today Lithuania came out and said they're not buying any more. I think it was Lithuania came out and said they're not buying any more gas. And I wouldn't be surprised, and I'm sure the Germans are getting their ducks in a row to try to stop buying Russian gas. But but they're real. But they're they're pretty stuck right now, where they have to. So in the net gas market. Uh, it's a tough. It's a tough one. Europe, Europe is holding on as hard as they can to keep to keep those open until they can find alternative options. But those take time. Those take time. In terms of in terms of crude, I think it's a it's it's a, it's a very interesting story, and I I think there's a lot to come out of it. In ter- in terms of Russia, I'm speaking. I think in terms of Russia the Chinese are going to gobble up all their oil. And I think eventually they will take majority stakes in a lot of those state assets when they run out of money. And from what I hear, they're selling already in bulk at a discount to China and India. So big picture, we want to talk geopolitical more... uh, in a bigger sense, you have the Middle East, who's kind of not budging. And you have the Chinese and the Indians gobbling up all this Russian oil. And then you ask yourself, well, where does that leave the U.S.? Where does that leave the U.S.? I actually am very bullish on the U.S. in oil production. I, I think it's a, still a bit undervalued here. And I know your clients probably heavily invested in energy equities and I would I would say it's 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 a good it's a good time to be in US energy equities pipelines refineries we don't have to go into specific names but it also comes back to the energy independence which you mentioned right and the US being the biggest producer do you think though that we have an administration that's been pretty openly hostile toward fossil fuels that if you know, I were in charge, which I'm not, I'm not shy about telling people that the bet one of the best ways to, to cripple Russia here is to pump as much oil as we can from this country. You know, turn I would agree. On. I would agree. We're not doing that. I agree. We're, we're, we're doing the opposite. We're telling people to go out and buy, you know, electric cars that, that, that they'll break even on 40 or 50 years, yeah, you know, based right. on current, current prices of fuel. Is is there enough? Um, so I guess my question for you is: is understanding that market, is there enough slack in the system that even if you have a federal government that is by most measures antagonistic toward fossil fuels, mm-hmm. that even if they are not opening new, you know, offshore federal lands for exploration development, they're going slow permitting, which they are doing. They're killing things like you know Keystone XL. Is there is there enough slack? in our own system to be able to ramp up production because we're still not producing oil at levels that we were pre-COVID. There is. There is. There is. I can tell you that in the Permian, yes, it would it, it would probably take a month, but yes, there is. We, we have that ability to ramp up production. But frankly, a lot of companies aren't really willing to do that right now. Um, they like... <laughs> they like the pricing where it's at. You know, yeah, and I think that that's, and this is one of those situations where you don't know who's 
telling the truth. Um, yes. You've heard Jen Psaki up during press conferences saying that uh, oil companies are making ref- record profits. You have oil industry and energy industry groups that are coming out and saying, well, wait a second, you guys are trying to cut off, cut us off of the knees every chance you get. We're a little bit hesitant and cautious about ramping up here. And, and that again, we're, the, the truth in that, I think, is, is kind of an unknown. Do you think that Biden's, uh, the Biden administration's decision, I guess it was last week, they're going to basically be doing what next year? How many, a million barrels a day or something out of Strategic Petroleum Reserve? Is yes, that that's right. You did, they just came, yeah, that's right. And that was yesterday. Right they came out yesterday with that. Okay. Well, I, I, would, I, would preface, I would preface first with, it wasn't too long ago that we had, <laughs> we had negative oil. Okay. Yeah, but that was a unique situation. It was. So for, a, for the, it, it was a unique situation. It was, a, and it was. It was oversupply, and it was a storage issue. You couldn't. You yeah, couldn't store it's, oil. It's, it's a even, great. It's, you, a, it's a great story for those that are listening that, that aren't maybe aware of what Pierre and I are talking about. It was. I think it was like April or May. Went right when COVID hit. It, it was, was in, West it was Texas. In, it was. Crude, a, it was right? in May. WTI, and okay. it went negative. And I was. Tra- I, I was trading futures on it. And which meant if you took delivery, you would get paid to take delivery. But you had to take delivery. But you had <laughs> to take delivery. And the problem no, is nowhere else where, to store it. Where, where are you going to put, put it? Where yeah. do you put it? Now, I, what, when I say I preface it, I just wanted to kind of, you know, kind of bring it around a little bit to show you like how, I, and I think for your listeners too, is how wild the market can get. Yeah. How how the swings you know the swings you can have which is which is you know it's 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 uh, it's one of the great things about trading commodities and it's also the sword on your neck you know <laughs> that's uh, a great way to put it you know it can things move fast and you have to you have to be on your feet you have to be on your heels and it, and it really in a short amount of time. You know, at that in, in, in May we went from I think it was negative twenty dollars to back to forty dollars, and I don't know, I don't have it in front of me, but if, if memory serves, it was like two to three months or something like that. Yeah, you know, um, and which also for your listeners, it's really important, you know, to to really understand if you, if you if you going to trade commodities or at least invest in companies related to commodities to understand the fundamentals the the spot market behind it the basics behind it it's just you don't have to get into the details but um i think that i would just you know kind of give a word of caution there so, you know, again, discussing where crude is now, where are we, where are we trading today it is just for the records, April 4th, 2022, about a hundred bucks a barrel. Is that where we are today, Pierre? Yeah, we're a couple bucks over a hundred. Yeah, a couple okay. bucks over a hundred. So this release from Strategic Petroleum Reserve um, is about a million barrels a day. Uh, I think the United States, we consume about 20 million barrels a day. So it's about 5%. Mm-hmm. Does that 5% matter? Is that going to be meaningful in terms of pushing down prices at the pump for people? No. Yeah. No. Yeah. And maybe takes the heat off a little bit, but not because everyone knows there's an end date. September, this all stops. There's also there's also a breakdown within the process with the refiners, and there's a lead lag in pricing that makes it a bit difficult. Um, I personally think we're, we're we're going higher in oil. I think we will. I think we've got another 20 30 bucks and there's also okay. the unknown risk premium 
of uh, what happens in Russia. And we're coming out of COVID, demand is coming back, people are flying, people are driving. Uh, I, I can't tell you there's, if you know, if, if, if you look down the board, I can't tell you that there's a lot that I'm really bearish on. But honing back to your question in oil, uh, on the political side, you've seen this before. It's it's very hard to try to wrestle the oil market through political means. The Saudis can do it because the monarchy runs the pump. Putin can do it because he runs the pump. Um, but in terms of uh, where we stand here, I think I think it'll stay. I think we're going to stay pretty bad. I'll put it to you that way. So I want to talk about inflation a little bit. And obviously we've seen, you said in the beginning, we have a perfect storm here in the sense that we have, as COVID hits, we have several things that happen in the wake of that. We have supply chain disruptions, obviously, because mm-hmm. you're shuttering factories, you're shutting things down, you're putting restrictions on on the amount of commerce, basically, that people can get together and do. Mm-hmm. You have central banks around the world absolutely turning on the spigots and just blasting money into the system. And then in the wake of that now, you've got 25% of the grains, a big chunk of the world oil market, essentially not taken offline completely, but becoming a lot more murky and complicated because of Russia-Ukraine. Which kind of came first, the chicken or the egg, in your view? I mean, where we start, because we were, this economy was humming in 2019. We saw things were going really well. We weren't seeing these inflationary pressures that we're seeing now. How quickly did the inflation really show up in the commodity markets? Because, you know, in March of 2020, you saw, de- into April, you really saw deflation and everything because demand, co- demand collapsed and the, the stimulus checks hadn't gone out. Uh, and there was still enough yeah. slack in the supply chain at that point that we could kind of meet our needs. When, when, did, this, when did this change? Because I, I, think, it, I think it's going to take a long time to turn this thing back to normal. Absolutely, and and like I said, I don't know if I said this or maybe I, I can't remember, but uh, I th- you know I think we're in the early we're in the early innings. Okay, I think we started to see it in June 2021 through the summer of 2021, and it's been heating up ever since. And I can't tell you the exact catalyst, but. There's no doubt it's been it's been on the march since then. Um, sometimes, I mean, it's also you know, for, for years and years and years, there's Brent, as you know, there's there's been this 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 overarching fear of inflation. You know, this this constant oh, when is inflation going to pop up? When is inflation going to pop up? Well, and it finally did, and when it did, it you know. It uh, it came out strong, and and now, and I don't want to get into a Fed conversation and a rate conversation, but part of the you, and you want to ask about inflation. I think part of the problem now with inflation is that the Federal Reserve is behind the curve, and inflation is. Is 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 on the main stage. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And um, and the Fed, unfortunately, will probably have to act drastically at some point this year to try to catch up. Because as you and I both know, they're behind the curve. 
I agree with that. I think that you know both of us, the the, the Volker years and, and the end of the Carter years, we were we were around. We it was before our time professionally. But yeah. what killed inflation from obviously when it heated up in the 1970s was Paul Volcker coming in and radically and dramatically increasing interest rates on uh, right. some of that excess out of the system. And it resulted in a, in a pretty severe deep double dip recession in the early 1980s before obviously the rest of the decade was pretty good. It was pretty good through the 90s as well. I think that yeah. the Fed... Um, yeah, I agree with you. I think they're behind the curve on this. I think that and that's why when you do hear them getting a little bit more hawkish saying next rate hike might be 50 basis points, um, which still probably, I mean, you and I, it's really not enough, but the markets right. paradoxically are tending to respond pretty good to that because they're, because this, they're, they're, at some point inflation turns into demand destruction and the equity markets like free money. They like liquidity, uh, the bond markets for sure like it as well. But, but at some point, uh, if you have too much inflation in the economy, it becomes very hard to make projections, it becomes very hard to invest in projects. It becomes very hard for the average person to, to, to have anything excess where they can go and, and buy the goods. I mean, let's just look at mortgage rates. Look at the move. Yeah. I mean, just look Huge. at the move in the t- just look at the move in the two year in the last in the last couple months. Yeah, um, it's just in, in terms of funding, right? And I know we're here to talk about commodities, so I don't want to go down the rate rabbit hole. <laughs> no, the rate rabbit hole. It's but it's tied to it. We can go down that. But, rabbit but hole. it is no, They're but no, 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 no. It's completely intertwined. It's completely intertwined. It's kind of the dog chasing its tail, you know, when it comes to it with, with inflation. It's, it's, um, I, I don't, I personally don't have an enormous, an enormous amount of faith in the fed that they're going to handle this the right way, which is also why I'm staying bullish commodities across the board, across the board, because I, I think they're going to come to a point where they have to make a drastic decision. Yeah. Now, this is just my prediction. This is, you know, but they, I, I think they're, they're too far behind. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And, and, and we're doing it on the back of, um, I, fortunately, I think, I don't think much is going to happen between now and the midterms. So I think that any, major legislative agendas are, are shelved for now and because i because I, I think personally i don't think the economy needs more more um more federal money dumped into it right now yeah i think you're right i think i think on the political front it's it, it's quiet on the political front yeah and it will it's, be it will be until until this fall yeah for sure there's really not much that can happen in washington until then so i i, I know you wanted to talk about gold yeah, your perfect segue. We got about we got a couple minutes left here, and in terms of the metals, I mean, you know, I look at gold, and I'll give you I'll give you my my thought on gold because I do get questions about gold, and and I think it's a throughout history, if you go back in the last in developed markets, developed economic markets, even some emerging economies for the last couple hundred years, the single worst asset that you could possibly have owned going back to eighteen hundred is gold, relative to government bonds relative to corporate bonds for sure equities but there are times when it really shines and it tends to shine in periods of great uncertainty and i view gold again it doesn't it doesn't do anything it doesn't produce anything it doesn't pay you anything it sits there you got to store it you got to make sure you don't That's get right. stolen lost that type of thing you know 20 dollar gold coin in 1920s would buy you a nice suit uh, an ounce of gold today buys you a nice suit i mean it really doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't work for you which is one of the reasons I can at times be antagonistic to it. 
but there are times when gold's a pretty good asset class. So tell me about what you see happening in the metals market, specifically gold and silver. I'd rather talk to you about other metals. <laughs> no, well, no, no, let's hear those too. No, let's forget about gold. No, let's but I'll give, you my, I'll give you my quick take. My, my dad would always tell me a joke about people stuffing gold under their mattress. Now it's pretty much worth the same in the last 200 years as it is now. It'll buy you the same stuff. It'll buy you the same stuff, right? Uh, You know, gold and silver. I think, you know, they have their, like you said, they have their moment in the sun. I own gold. It's one of those, you know, you put in the safe, you kind of forget about it, but it's it's not a... it's it it's it's, me. it's very low it's very low on the on the t- on the investment totem pole if i can put it that way it's a tail um, risk and the reason i'm going to spend just a little more time because i get questions sure. about it constantly sure, it's a sure, tail sure, risk sure. investment for me yeah. where i think that in, in terms of investing you got to you, you got to invest for what happens under the big part of the bell curve mm-hmm. but there's tail risk and so that's yeah. where i think again this is not a, a recommendation to buy or sell either of these things. But I think crypto fills the tail. Gold fills the tail. You know, it's something that if all you know what breaks loose, you've got an asset class that sort of exists outside yeah. of, of, of the regular markets that, that can, you know, you buy it as an insurance policy. Yeah, it's, a, not ex- it's you, a non-expiring call option. Exactly. Exactly. So, yes, enough enough with with gold. I think we agree on that for sure. But tell me about tell me about these other metals. What's happening in the other? I'll tell you. I'm pretty I'm pretty focused on copper right now. Okay. Um, I think copper is the most interesting of the lot. I also like palladium, which is essential in catalytic converters. Um, and the auto market, even with EV, the auto market's really hot. And Russia. It's somewhere similar. It's in the 25 to 30% range of palladium produced in the world. It comes from Russia. And that's, uh, it, 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 if you're looking at the car market, I think you have to be looking at palladium. Um, copper is such an essential industrial metal, not just in housing, but in electronics and everything. And there are real supply deficits. So I think. Those types of metals are more interesting to me. You can you you can go down the line and get it can get really interesting where you can start looking at cobalt, um, nickel, which we just had this massive event in nickel, right? Yeah, what happened um, in the nickel markets last? Because wasn't this what, what, what something crazy happened in the nickel so, market? Yeah, there, was some, the cra- there was some crazy stuff that happened in the nickel market. So the nickel market is a very specific market primarily traded by industrialists or companies uh it's traded on the uh lme london metals exchange which is one of the oldest exchanges and actually still has what it's still they still have a floor and what happened on the lme was there was a chinese guy his nickname was big shot believe it or not and Owned one uh, one of the largest nickel producing um, consortiums in the world, and had a huge short position. And once Russia invaded Ukraine, and sanctions were put on Russia, there was uh, there was a run, there was a run on nickel, and this guy Big Shot had such a big position that he couldn't get out because he was in 
too big to the banks, if you will. It was almost a too big to fail scenario. And so they stopped trading and then they capped the price moves. And since then, the price of nickel has gone in and I'm sure the banks and he have lost quite a bit of money, but not anywhere near the amount of money they were down when it went up. I believe it was 8x or 10x or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. And it's also an example of, it's a good example of liquidity. It's a good example of volatility in, in specific commodity markets. But this one was kind of, this was kind of, uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting blend of, of factors. There was, a, there was a, another time, that, this reminded me of another time, even though I wasn't around, but I heard my father would tell me about the Hunt Brothers squeeze yeah. in 1980, silver, where they tried cornering the silver market. And it had parallels, even though the dynamics, the fundamental dynamics were a bit different, but it was, it was one of those scenarios. So yes, very, well, very, very, it was from the outside, very interesting to watch. Well, if I were if I if if I were a nickel trader, I would I would probably uh, yeah no. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in both cases, it was a scenario where the banks and the clearinghouse basically changed the rules to protect themselves. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. They changed they 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 changed the they changed the rules of the game. And you know what? Yeah. I actually I thought that was going to happen a few weeks into the uh, Russian invasion with the wheat market because we were up seven or eight days in a row straight no was it maybe maybe eight maybe seven days in a row straight in the wheat market it, it went parabolic and sometimes the exchange steps in and they make some adjustments so so that the market can correct itself you know, pick, pick a couple that. of sacrificial lambs and yeah yeah you raise the margin rates you do a few things to kind of yeah. To you know, to write the ship and and essentially that's what that's what the London Metal Exchange did in this situation. Yeah. So and I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see a few more instances of that. Yeah. It, it, well, I, I you know we saw it somewhat in the equity markets. You remember the the meme stocks, game stocks specifically. Yes, absolutely. And, and what you do find is is large institutions when they found themselves in trouble, used the, the strength and power of those very institutions to keep the pain from getting too bad. And, and I do right. think you're right. We're probably in a... I agree with you in the sense that I think that the, the, there's a fundamental shift that's occurred. Um, I think that in terms of trying to pull inflation out of the economy, it can be done. We've shown that. But it's going to have to be... There's going to be a lot of short-term pain all the way around if you wanted to do that. And I don't know that anyone has the will necessarily to do that. So I think that your space, Pierre, is going to be incredibly interesting for a long period of time, for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Volatil volatility is your friend. But, you know, it's, it's been sleepy for, for a few years now. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's a difficult market. It's one of, the, one of the more difficult markets to trade across the board, primarily because there's a lot of... It, it's it's very much an insider market, but I would tell also for your clients, you know, it, it, don't be don't 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 be afraid of it. Um, and the best way that I would suggest from 
you know, from from my side of the table, would be to look at large, you know, publicly traded, uh, publicly traded commodities companies. You know, yeah, uh, companies that will know, benefit from increases. That, in that, will, that will benefit, and that, that actually haven't even seen the windfall from from the shift in price because there's 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 a lag behind that. All right. Well, Pierre, man, I really appreciate you taking some time to to unravel some of the intricacies of these markets. And, and I do agree with you. I think that there's been a, a real fundamental shift on what's happening in these commodities. Uh, and from your vantage point in Chicago, it's going to be really fascinating to, to continue watching it as we move forward. And, uh, look forward to our next discussion. Thanks so much, Brent. I appreciate it. Hey, Pierre and Brent, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love being a fly on the wall for this kind of stuff. Brent, I know that this uh, goes out nationwide, and there's probably going to be a few people that are really interested in following up with this conversation, and they're probably going to want to call you. Uh, Brent, how do they reach out to you specifically if, if you just want to entertain some conversations with folks that want to know more? Absolutely. Yeah, we're always happy to, to have these discussions, even even with areas that are outside a little bit of our expertise, such as the commodities markets. But best way to reach me is, is really just call my office. It's uh, 602-255-0555. Um, remember, my team will pick up and we can schedule time to dig a little deeper into these issues. Fantastic. Pierre, thanks again for being on the show. And of course, Brent, thank you so much for facilitating and bringing him on the show. But our last thank you always goes to you listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Smart Money Simplified podcast with Brent Mikosh. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Brent comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks so much for listening today. For everyone at MP Advisors, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Smart Money Simplified Podcast. Have any questions about topics covered during the show? Visit www.smartmoneysimplified.com or give us a call at 602-255-0555. Don't forget to click the follow button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and or guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service providers with any questions you may have regarding your individual situation. Securities are offered through Raymond James Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors Incorporated, MP Advisors, LLC, is not a broker slash dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services.